0: We've got our own factories we've got our own fleets we've got our own trains we build construction machinery we build hospital equipment and all of those things need insurance
1: hello this is matthew grant one of the partners at instec london and in this episode we are bringing you the first half of our event from the steelyard on the 8th of july when we're talking about InsurTech as a service sponsored by Hitachi. Now, one of the problems that many technology companies have, both new but also established ones, is connecting into the systems used by their insurance clients and the insurance companies themselves often find it difficult to know how the technology solutions are going to link into their own applications. Hitachi have found a way to solve this problem with what they call their InsurTech as a service and essentially what they are doing is they are assessing each of the technology companies that their clients are looking to work with and then creating a solution for connecting these two together. So we were delighted to have up in this episode uh, Sarif Otterburn from Mitachi talking to Chris Gill from QBE and Stephen Shadwick from Shepherd. And that is followed by uh, Robin Mertens talking to Mark Dennis, who is the European CEO of Munich Re Digital Partners. Uh, and finally, we have Nicholas Sir, CEO and founder of Casco.
2: So on stage, from left to right, Stephen Chadwick, who's the CEO of uh, Shepherd, Sharif Otterburn, whose role is roving at uh, Hitachi Consulting, Stephen Gill, Head of Risk Solutions. Uh, and we're going to talk about InsurTech as a service in particular, um, what Hitachi are doing um, and you know where that fits with uh, IoT as a service, which uh, I think, has fascinating potential for the insurance industry. Sharif, I'm going to start with you. So what is Hitachi Consulting?
0: When you think about Hitachi first, uh, a lot of you probably think about engineering and innovation, but we're actually also a, uh, the seventh largest technology company in the world uh, with a $4 billion business in financial services. And Hitachi Consulting is just one of those organisations within out of the 950 in that conglomerate. And... Um, At a really high level, basically, we help companies transform their business by providing technology and digital solutions.
2: So I know Hitachi.
0: Hitachi?
2: Hitachi. 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 (laughs) I know them for uh, building uh, trains, smart cities, electronics, heavy machinery and stuff. So in this day and age, that stuff has uh, astonishing data sets attached to it. Do you at consulting get the chance to play with those toys and to do exciting data stuff with them?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've got our own factories, we've got our own fleets, we've got our own trains. We build construction machinery, we build hospital equipment, and all of those things need insurance. Uh, and basically, we as Hitachi Consulting, we've digitized all of those things, we've optimized all of those things to make things safer. And um, we then provided all of that knowledge to other companies, other industries, other cities, um, other transportation industries, and so on. So, yeah, it's really important then to make sure that we know that there's a risk associated to all of that. And what we at Hitachi are doing is making sure that insurers understand that risk and we and we provide that information to them.
2: So based on my knowledge of this stuff, there's a huge, massive data downfall data set, dynamic data set, that you then have to get down to something which represents something that insurers can understand from a risk prevention and a risk pricing point of view. And you know, and I guess that's the magic. And and where where are you with that and you know and how's it going?
0: Yeah, so at the moment a lot of insurers are looking at historical data to, to calculate risk and a lot of averages, don't know if you agree with that. Um, but you know, there's so much data out there, and you know we are experts in IoT, uh, and we're also experts in ingest, ingesting data at large scale, so uh, I'll get, and all of that basically needs to be fed into the new risk models and the new risk calculations, so that's what we're doing at the moment. So I'll give you an example of, kind of two examples of what we're doing and where we're doing that. So Hitachi Rao, uh, they provide trains, and, and every single one of those trains, there's 3,500 sensors. And you probably didn't realise, though, that we actually Hitachi Rail actually provide those trains as a service to train lines such as Virgin or Great Western Rail. And um, and the whole point of doing that is so that basically if the train breaks down, it's not Virgin or Great Western Rail that will suffer, it's actually Hitachi Rail. So we have ingested, as Hitachi Consulting, we've ingested all of that information in real time and provided it back to Hitachi Rail to say... Um, hey, this is what you can do and this is how you can do predictive maintenance to stop those trains from breaking down as much as possible. Uh, And another example is we've actually partnered in Los Angeles with a company called Dispatcher and this is really relevant to commercial insurance at the moment to predict and prevent wildfires from happening or power outages from happening before it occurs. Uh, So we leverage, Hitachi Consulting leverage machine learning and AI to actually make those predictions as to when the wildfire is going to happen. Uh, and then we'll send off dispatchers who are basically like field service engineers to actually go and assess that area and prevent anything from happening. And over the last year we prevented about 12 yeah about 12 power outages and about a dozen, half a dozen wildfires, and one of those power outages would have actually left millions in danger. So, connecting that information with insurers is really, really important, and making sure that that feeds into all their risk calculations means that they can provide different services to their to their existing customers.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So, if I may get a bit of free consulting from you while you're here, uh, it. How do you think this changes the nature of the insurer's role and the nature of insurance as we currently provide it?
0: Yeah, so I think, I think there's three things really. I think the first one is reducing claims. So obviously understanding all that new data in real time means that you can start assessing risks differently before you actually place insurance, which means that you can make a better decision before placing insurance and hence hopefully reducing significant claims. I think the second one is improving customer engagement. So you know, getting away, how many times have i heard insurers saying, we want to move away from talking to the customer just at renewal or just at claim, and we want to start adding more value. So you can add more value to them if they share their data by saying things like, okay, this is how you're performing on your current business policies, uh, and this is what you can do to improve those policies or improve your, what your employees are doing to mitigate risk. And then finally, I think actually uh, new revenue streams. You know, With all this data and with partnering with your customers to be able to share data as well, you can start understanding new opportunities, identifying new opportunities that are out there and creating some new products that you can then go to market with.
2: Time to hear what insurers are really doing with this stuff. <laughs> Firstly, let me congratulate you for being very brave because um, I've been in and around the IoT space for quite a long time and I know that uh, insurers are struggling to come to terms with what it means. So uh, on the train front, uh, this all sounds like a data set that doesn't naturally lend itself to a grubby spreadsheet and and a rating engine. So how are you coping? Um, Well, it's a very interesting question. I mean, uh,
3: for insurers, um, we're at a point now where data is becoming more and more prevalent. We've hit an exponential curve in terms of technology and data that's now available to us. Um, and customers first and foremost are speaking to us and asking to us how we can use their data and work with partners so that we can tailor and bespoke the risk pricing model um, to the, the to the actual exposure they present today. Um, I mean, insurance is made up of three key raw materials that we have to consider. We have people, first and foremost, so the talent and experience that we have within the insurance company. Um, we have the capital that sits behind us. Uh, and then we have the data. And it's the data that we really need to focus on that's going to move us to the next level. Um, and as I say, you know, we need to become more relevant to our customers, and our customers are, as we're seeing now, um, advancing more than we are as, as an insurance um, industry whole. Uh, in terms of looking at supply chain, crisis management, um, looking at wearable technology and how that uh, influences uh, the human behaviour and health and safety, Uh, looking at telematics. So, you know, to keep up with the industries that we actually serve and support, we need to evolve as well quite rapidly.
2: So so that sounds like early steps on a long journey. How far have you got and, you know, what are the kind of... uh, uh, From an internal adoption point of view, you know, how does that work? It's quite a tough question. (laughs) Um, So, so QBE at the moment is going through
3: a a a process of transform uh, transform, transformation. So we're looking at this from three um, key key areas as an insurance business, and probably not too dissimilar from our competitors as well. Um, I mean, QBE sort of sits up there in the top twenty global insurers and digital transformation is actually quite frightening on the, on the inside looking out, because there are startups appearing everywhere, there's data available that we're not familiar with. So it, I think it takes a very brave company to sort of step in, embrace, and actually start to organically learn how to better use data as a company. Um, we're looking at this in one of three different ways. Um, the first way is we're looking at uh, the data which is available. Shelley, you mentioned at at Satachi that data is um, quite difficult to come by with insurers and to make sense of it. And when we're looking at this from an internal perspective, and we see this across the industry through our broker partners, um, 60% of, uh, if you like, claims causation is actually unknown. Um, You know, it's almost, I suppose, a behaviour within the industry, almost lazy reporting, whereby the claims data, we just don't know where it's coming from. Um, and so that data becomes almost useless. So we need to become more disciplined, more sophisticated, in actually putting down, a, you know, claims analysis against that, so we can turn it into information. And the second one is actually, what do we, how do we turn data into information? And so, you know, as a business, again, we're looking at it from an underwriting perspective, um, turning this data into information through. Working with third party companies, we're working with Saitura, we're now looking to partner with Hitachi and Shepard and and a few others out there in the market through our ventures um, to be able to scrape the external public domain for data sets, which will be able to give us insights into businesses. And now, you know, where we historically look at claims and uh, risks from industry to how many people they employ. Um, looking at um, key losses over the last five years, we're now becoming much more forward-looking within the data sets to be able to give us predictive analysis and be able to better tailor the risk management programs. Um, And then thirdly, it's very much around um, sort of, if you like, the digital worker, which is keystrokes. So through the claims process, we've really started to digitalize our entire claims process, which looks at emails informing brokers. It looks at how we instruct solicitors uh, and close claims and QB in a sort of a, in a period of a month we get over 15,000 transactions for claims coming in um, and through this process already we've saved seventy percent on the process through digitalization so we're really trying to embrace this and rather than taking a view that this is replacing jobs we're very much looking at it from a perspective actually it's freeing people's time up to
2: better focus on the clients and to be more of a client centric business Good. thank you so what does a partnership between you guys what shape does that take? Who, I mean, how does that work?
3: So, <clears throat> I think, you know, the pace of change, as I say, is absolutely exponential at the moment. Um, and, um, you know, the, the insurance sector will look very different in the next five to ten years. I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but you get a gut feel, an instinctive feel, that, you know, change is absolutely intimate, um and much needed within the industry. So I think, first and foremost, we're looking at proof of concept. So we're working with Atachi to find mutual customers. Atachi are a very big organisation, a very big outfit, um, like ours at QBE. So at the moment, just staying within the Parameters of the UK, looking at the customers that we have in common, and then trying to get proof of concept of how we can feed data into the model um, that ultimately influence the pricing model for the customer. Um, Then being able to get a cross class view and feel for the customer across casualty, motor, um, property, and financial lines, and then ultimately look to upscale across industries. So, industries with an appetite, so, you know, construction, manufacturing, transportation, media, and tech.
2: But how does that affect the nature of your relationship with the brokers? And um, should brokers be worried?
3: The difficult. The question is getting more, more and more you difficult. I, no, don't uh, you come uh, here for an easy uh, ride. It's incredibly difficult to to predict at the moment, and and the views I can give are only my own and not not as a corporate organisation. So, I mean, you know, clearly the tides are turning and the winds are changing. Um, With the likes of Amazon, with the likes of Google and Hitachi on the doorstep, um, it only makes sense to create partnerships that are only going to advance the organisation as much as possible. Um, If you look at customer segmentation, which is very important to QBE, if you look at the top multinational um, organisations around the world. I think within our our careers, our lifespan, there will certainly still remain a place for brokers um, as a risk advisory capacity. I think as they progress and collect more and more data, um, they may look for alternative methods for insurance and adding risk advisory to customers. So this could be um, superior reinsurers, uh, other capital market providers within the mid-markets. It could very much be, um, you know, broking could become commoditized. And so, um, you know, clients with um, the availability of data may look to go more direct with insurers. And then at the lower end of the uh, spectrum, uh, with, uh, the, you know, the, the lower end of the market, I think it's only going to be an artificial intelligence solution. So with the likes of Apple, Amazon and Google, again, moving in, other tech giants in the market, it, it's just going to become automised um, for small commercial businesses and for the
2: domestic market. This is an easy question. If it's trains to start with, thereafter other asset classes. You don't. I mean, if it makes a difference, then you're going to take it, right?
3: Um, look, I mean, all we know is what clients tell us, and, and clients are always looking for an easy solution where they can place all of their insurance in one place with as much convenience as possible. And clients only want to be understood as much as possible. So, the more data that we can collect, uh, the greater the partnerships that we can forge and use that to our, you know,
2: commercial advantage. The better, I think. Thank you. Thanks. Steve, over to you. So we've had you here before, and would I summarise rightly by saying that you do on commercial property what it actually do on trains, sort of commercial property IoT?
4: Absolutely, yeah, spot on. Thank you, Robin. Um, so yes, uh, Shepard do leverage IoT devices to extract data from essentially dumb objects within the uh, property environment. Um, but as we know, data is only the beginning of the process. It's conversion of data to value. Um, and it's that route from data being analysed into information and information being shared that creates new knowledge and the ability to be able to delve into the issues and the risks that are exposed from understanding how essentially a dumb property performs um, in its life cycle. <clears throat> so Shepard is really around looking at the risks that are inherent from the mechanical and electrical components that sit within systems within within a property and be able to expose those and understand how preemptive maintenance could be effective, how the risk can be reduced by understanding the performance of the property and how cost and uh, value can be reduced in terms of the OPEX costs of the uh, property, in terms of reduction of energy usage reduction in water usage and be able to change the maintenance cycle of the property by understanding the performance and the metrics of the performance of the equipment that sits within it.
2: Now you're sort of 12 months, maybe a little longer, into engaging with the insurance industry. How, how far have you got and, and what's been the experience so far?
4: Yeah, thank you Robin. So we've had really good traction with a good number of insurance carriers Uh, We're working very closely with Aviva, with Zurich and with um, Ecclesiastical and we're in conversation with a good number of partners along with QBE uh, in terms of how we take these proof of concept ideas forward. Um, We have in the ground some nine projects with uh, the major carriers today Um, and these aren't short term projects, these are long term whole building approaches to understand the performance of property with the value for the client in terms of reduction of OPEX management of the, uh, of the property itself and the value for the carrier in terms of understanding the risk scoring of a property and how that risk is reduced through being able to understand and exposing those risks and manage them over time.
2: So in the course of those 12 months, how has your proposition evolved from the original one you bought to market?
4: The proposition's changed in a number of ways. Um, I think first of all is the uh, route to market in terms of exposing the whole property. Originally we were looking at single risk, so now we have two approaches to market. The first is a set of portfolio products to look at individual risk items such as leak detection, such as uh, fridge, freezer, uh, cold store failure in academia, in uh, schools and also in retail. From looking at Legionella monitoring for a classic risk within any commercial building. Vacant property monitoring and uh, electrical and electrical subsystem monitoring. So those are the single products. But in the solution side of the business, it's really been the traction with the insurance companies that has driven this whole building approach and been able to look at all of the risks that are inherent within the property and be able to take essentially dumb items and expose their life cycle, the lifetime, the expectancy and be able to plan for when those items should be replaced in their normal operating cycle. That's really driving the approach from the insurance carriers.
2: So have you got to the point yet where you can offer what I call IoT as a service? In other words, uh, the benefits of having the devices in place and your analytics in place are are paying for themselves through increased efficiency energy use and so on, so that actually, from an insurance point of view, it's kind of – the the customer's already paid for it, effectively. Absolutely.
4: I think in terms of the original go-to-market cost model that we had, it was very high capex because of the hardware for something that essentially customers didn't believe could happen. This is taking an education within the market of having to educate customers and end users that they can actually understand the performance of systems and assets within their environment. So I've changed the approach to be Shepherd as a Service, the real InsureTech as a Service type approach and combine the capital cost into the lifetime costs of of monitoring to be able to provide very low cost uh, value for each individual asset within a property that's being monitored. And if you monitor all the assets, we understand the performance of a system, say that be uh, air conditioning, that be heating, whether that be the water flow, whether that be energy usage within the property, and be able to start to deliver business information for decision making, um, to really allow property owner, property occupiers, to make decisions on what they will uh, update, what they will maintain, and how they will treat the performance of the property, which really touches upon the risk elements for the carriers within the insurance.
2: Thank you. That was great. Uh, Call me an old cynic, but if you if you want to sell something, you better wrap it in wellness or environmental benefits, and then it sells like hotcakes. Sell it as an insurance proposition. You know, only God knows. Um, thank you very much indeed. Everybody thank you very much. appreciate. it. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> so next up. Uh, we've got Mark Dennis, who's the global COO of Munich Re Digital Partners. Um, those who come here regularly know I'm an unashamed fan of Munich Re and what they do. Uh, it seems to me they're one of the few who has a proper sense of R&D and are investing f- for the future in the knowledge that the insurance model is going to change um, fundamentally. So. Do, th- no, no, look, you get a free plug if you come and give up an afternoon to come with me. So, um, first up, how long have you been going and, you know, how is it going?
5: We're around three and a half years old. Um, Andy Rear and I formed the business at the start of 2016. We're now 80-something people globally, I think about 85.
2: And in that time, what have you changed? Uh, you know, you, you clearly knew what you, when you came in, you thought you knew what was going to go on. How is that different now, do you think?
5: I mean, the, the fundamental pillars of, w- of what we do haven't changed in that three or three and a half years. We still provide capacity. We've got global reach. We have a venture capital arm, which is a kind of sister company within the group. Uh, we provide product and pricing expertise and flexibility, if you like. So we're an execution shop in some sense. Um, I guess the the market or the industry has matured to a point, so that's probably where the change lies. But the business model itself hasn't really changed, which either suggests we got it right first time, which is perhaps unlikely, or we've kind of evolved it as we've gone along rather than a step change, perhaps, I would say. And
2: um, I said you're doing incredibly well, but have you got any metric? I mean, how do we know you're doing very well? I, I kind of think you're doing quite well but are you prepared to share anything well, with us? Well, you just us? have to
5: take my word for it. Were, no,
2: um,
5: we're not, we're not, no, we're simply so not So we we're not very public on, on numbers, but, but we wrote around 100 million a premium last year. And I know in, the, you know in such esteemed company, it's a small number. However, bear in mind that's from kind of fairly immature insurtech startups just starting to gain some traction. So around 100 million last year, about two-thirds in the US and a third in, in Europe, which really means the UK for us at the moment. Um, we expect to pretty much double that, or more than double that, this year, and then year on year. So,
2: I want to ask you the lemonade question, which is: uh, it's all very well saying you're growing really fast, uh, but if your claims are growing even faster, that's not cool. Are you, you know, are you pleased with the results despite the growth?
5: I think we've surprised ourselves a bit, so I think we, we wrote more business than we expected to write in 2018, and. You know, we launched in 16, which was very much about experimenting, and then 17 was about does, the, does that model scale? Um, and then suddenly we're writing 100 million, and that was a bit of a surprise. So as you'd expect off the back of that, there's a bit more scrutiny around what does that business look like? Um, so we continue to grow, and, you know, we're not putting the brakes on in any sense. In fact, we're accelerating still, but we're learning lessons. So, we've, for example, we've built a load of data infrastructure which allows us to react quite quickly to anything that looks a bit spiky in the business. But as I said at the top, our core business hasn't really changed, and one of the key tenets of that business is patience. So you know, we work alongside tech startups who have a limited runway, and they, you know, we, we our job, if you like, is to be, first of all, to get them to market as quickly as we can. And once we've done that, to be patient with them because there's no use me looking at the numbers after six months and saying, well, it's not quite performing where I expected it to be because in reality, I didn't know where I expected it to be.
2: It's all very well me being impressed with what you do, but are your owners impressed? And what is it that impresses them? Is it the growth they're after? Or is it what you can teach them from your effectively acting as their experimental lab
5: a, a bit of all of that actually in truth so so we were initially described as a strategic experiment which is sounds a bit odd but really you know as i mentioned before it was can can this kind of large corporate work with tech startups in, in an effective way i think we proved that quite well in 16 then it was about scaling then it was about you know can we can we grow that business kind of in a in an upward trajectory Without massively increasing our expense base, so it starts to look a bit like a, a genuine business. So I think there are three things that we we aim to learn from the business. One is, can we do it? So can can Munich Re work with tech startups essentially? And you know, get my job in, in my business is to get that gearing in the middle right, so that all the pieces move at the right kind of time. The second one is actually about can we actually build a business. So, you know, essentially we're a startup up within a corporate environment. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. You know, as I said we've grown from two to eighty something people to about twenty partnerships over those three years. So you know we're definitely doing something right. And I've forgotten my third one now. Maybe there's only two lessons. Anything out there
2: at the moment that you find exciting? I mean in the short tech world
5: obviously. <laughs> We don't talk about the others. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we've touched on it a bit in the in the initial session. There's a lot of stuff around data and, and connected things, whether that's home or cars or or uh, other inanimate objects, perhaps. So I think that's clearly you know a thing. Um, oh, by the way, I should tell you, I should give you an idea of numbers. So we've met something like a thousand insurtech startups over the three years. We work with about twenty, or we've got twenty live we're working with maybe 50. So, you know, it's definitely a thing still. There are emerging themes, I think, so data's clearly a theme. I don't need to tell anybody there. that. Um, Subscription-based models, probably a theme. Um, Platform plays is definitely a theme, and probably that's going to be a topic for discussion perhaps later on. So there's things, there's a sort of, consolidation to some extent? I think maybe there's... I haven't seen anything... I could be careful what I say now, but I haven't seen anything massively exciting in the last three, four months, perhaps. Um, that seems to be... is a theme. Would actually. you agree? Yeah, no, I, I think it's all
2: become very partnership. Mm-hmm. It's become a bit cosy, and I don't see people coming up with deeply disruptive models at the yeah, moment.
5: Except there's... A, the thing I have noticed change is that insurers, I, I think... Forgive me for speaking for an entire industry, um, but three years ago, I think they were slightly suspicious of InsurTechs right? Because, you know, are they encroaching on our territory? Are they going to make us look slow and terrible? I'll hold my judgment on that. I think now there is definitely that much more of a partnership focus. So there is much more of an emphasis on actually how can we work together. Um, and if I look at Munich Re's competitive landscape, I can't. And it's hard for me to define that now because a Swiss Re competitor, well, yes. They, Kind of, but actually, we collaborate on a load of stuff together, and we actually we have done for a long while. So, you know, are insure techs you know, encroaching on territory, or are they actually creating an opportunity? And you could argue either way, depending on which side of the fence you see it. But I think there's much more of a kind of, you know, collaboration approach now compared to where we were, say, three years ago.
2: We, I think I was, I'm going to speak for the whole industry as well. We see ourselves in as an opportunity. You know, so, um, Look, thank, Mark, thank you. There's a couple of minutes for questions, if anyone's got one.
6: You were one of the earlier investors in Trove. Um, are you able to comment on um, Trove in the UK? Because they recently announced that they were pulling out of uh, offering their services here, and does that have any implications for your wider portfolio, please?
5: So Trove remain a strategic partner for us. In fact, they're in my office tomorrow, so we're having a, a, like a half-year review. You're right in the sense that they've kind of withdrawn from the single item cover Trove branded product in the UK, but their focus is more kind of distribution deals through that the same platform. So they still, you know, back if you like the idea around single item cover. You know, that will play out how it plays out. They also actually have a bit of a focus now on fleet business, so fleet as a service, as they describe it. So they start to diversify and, in a sense. You know that's a, a maturing of them as a as a business, but certainly from our perspective, they're a strategic partner still. Um, we're we fairly heavily invested in them as well, which is a you know separate decision from my part of the business. But again, that remains you know a key part of our relationship with them. Did did you have a view on single item cover and whether that's still a thing, or have you lost your microphone? He, no,
2: he's not allowed to. He's lost his microphone. You're not allowed One to expression. respond to oh, No, no, is, no, stop is is there's, there's not Parliament.
1: Um. <laughs> Hello, um, I'm James from Agile Risk Partners. Um, does Munich Re Digital Partners invest, or is it the only venture funding team that does? I.e., do you have do you insist on taking an equity share in the collaborating partners you work with?
5: No, so we see that as complementary. I mean, it's it's you know part of our offering, but it's a separate part of the Munich business. So it's called was. Hartford Steamboiler Ventures, it's now called Munich Re-Ventures. And of the 20 partnerships that we've got live, I think we've invested in maybe seven of them. So, you know, roughly a third you could say. It's not prerequisite. The, the partnership from, from our perspective is paramount and then investment may or may not follow, but it's a separate decision.
6: Time for one more if we've got it. Just curious how uh, Munich re success in partnering with different types of startups because you mentioned there are thousands and thousands of them. And uh, you you have like twenty partners, hundred million in premiums. How do you select these people on one, on what basis? So a lot of
5: it, if you, I think back to the early days, it was a lot of it was about why while we wowed by the idea? You know, this, I'm talking three years ago now, so um, it's fair to say we were easily wowed, perhaps. And then it becomes much more about the team around the idea. You know, have they been successful previously with an exit, um, potentially in another in a, another sector? Much more now. It's about a much kind of more rounded view of that proposition. So, you know, do we feel we can work with these guys? Do they have some kind of guarantee of distribution? I have. They got a customer. There's no use having a great product without a customer. Do they know how to get stuff over the line? Do they have insurance expertise? Believe it or not. So, and I think it's fair to say some of the startups we we met, not the ones we we're working with, but some of the ones we met in the very early days. Are trying to, were trying to disrupt an industry without any kind of knowledge of the industry and you you could argue that's a strength because then they'll be bringing new ideas but in a highly regulated industry that's difficult to navigate having a knowledge or at least an appreciation of that is helpful so you know, financing is another factor so have they got enough money to get across the line and launch before they run out of, of runway so there's quite a lot of factors in fact I've got some of my team in the front row and they haven't heckled me yet, which is, must be bonus season. Um, so they're around. If you've got an idea to pitch to them, Rich, you'll be here, right? We're always ready to, we'll, we'll have at least one conversation with anybody.
2: Uh, so if you've got a pitch deck ready, now you know what to put in it. Uh, Mark, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate it, thanks. So, next up we have um, Nicholas Seur uh, from uh, Casco. Uh, now, we had Nicholas here. So, we formed Instec London in April 2015, and Nick was absolutely one of our very first pitchers come about September, I should think, September. So, uh, and you were using the word uh, MGA as a service, before it was uh, had picked up the same currency it has now, uh, you're still going, which is a good sign, and uh, you're being very successful. Uh, what's the secret
6: of your success? Um, first of all, thank you for, for, for having me. Um, I think at the time we actually did call it InsurTech as a service, um, so I was really happy to read the headline of today's event. Um, I guess so, so what we do is we enable insurers to bring products to market, scale them up outside of their own IT infrastructure. And I guess the what we're really proud of is with, I would say, it's not really a shoestring budget but um, mostly self-funded, we manage to get a lot of insurers onto our platform. And I think there's two sides to it. One is to say, you know, you've got to understand your customers, solve a problem, product market fit, da-da-da-da-da. And I think there's another truth to it, and one was sheer luck. So we started out 2015, um, and that was when everyone wanted a new shiny thing. So we were able, with very limited, I would say, technology bandwidth, to just scoop up these innovation stuff. I don't know. watch insurance with photo AI. Would not build that again, um, but that kind of got our our name on the map. And I think the other one is, we made a decision very early on to solve for the sales cycle, which is really complex in an insurance company, over the building a product. Um, So we have a product, but for us it was really key to sell to the product managers and make the scope so digestible that no one would even think about um, doing a, you know, senseless RFP, and that's I guess the secret. So, so how do
2: people use you? Are you providing a digital journey end to end, or um, are you doing what I call sticking digital lipstick on a legacy pig? <laughs>
6: I think we're the ladder, quite frankly, um, because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, I think there's good reason to you know, migrate to new infrastructure. So I, yeah, lipstick lipstick on a pig, I guess, is, is the right word to put it. And really what we're doing is we're digitalizing an insurer from the touch point out. So we don't actually start with the consumer. We start with the user who's usually an intermediary. Um, and f- figure out how do we bring a product to market, how do we onboard partners, how do we scale volume, how do we improve profitability on the underwriting, how do we then do the OPEX. Um, so, yeah, we put, you know, we kind of feel like, um, you know, we kind of put like a churnable like fencing around their core and make it work for the future.
2: You know, there's nothing wrong with that. That seems to be wh- where the industry is right now. Um, uh, so, uh, where does your best opportunities lie? Are you talking mostly to insurers, to MGA's,
6: to brokers, H- who, who hunts you down if they want to use this? Insurers. So, um, classical um, SME and retail insurers um, who have more opportunity than IT capacity. Um, As a caveat, we talk to MGAs because we have an MGA stack. We talk to reinsurers who want to help bring their capacity to market. We talk to very large distributors like banks. But it really, um, 95% of where our money comes from is uh, insurance companies.
2: Interesting. So I uh, I don't remember many uh, pitches, uh, but I remember you doing one at the uh, DIA where you were... Uh, showcasing a, something you did with baluars on watches, which I thought was really cool. Are you still doing that, or has that died a death? And uh, what have we learned from that generally?
6: Yeah, okay, so that was the aforementioned um, AI powered watch insurance. Um, the one thing I didn't want to build, but I'm really glad that we did. So it basically started out with a showcase, um, got a lot of stakeholder involvement, made baluars, um I think. You know, for the first time in the history, the most innovative insurance company in Switzerland. Now, fast forward, we, we rolled out a single item scheme. Um, we went for distribution as well. And if you were to kind of extrapolate um, Swiss numbers to um, UK numbers, we're writing something like 7,000, 8,000 policies a week um, with that program. Um, and Let's just say it all. It all started with this um, bloody watch insurance, and then just kind of cascaded out. So you got to start somewhere. Yeah, but you're
2: insuring Swiss watches, whereas if you insure UK watches, you'd be doing something fundamentally different, I think. So how do you do your uh, marketing? I mean, you know, you talk about cash strapped. Uh, how do you put the messages out there and? Um, why do you come here when you had to get on a flight and come a long way
6: and present yourself? So, so I think because we're 2 B a business, it's really important to um, meet people, to understand um, the respective decision makers, um, their portfolio of, of initiatives. One of the best thing to do is an event, not any event, um, you know, events such as yours, which to us just makes it really easy. You'll just filter, <laughs> you'll filter everything out for us. So when, when we decide for an event, um, we're actually more, you know, this is what's interesting. So the audience, um, rather than, than than the speakers. So that's how we bring the message out. And the second one is, um, customer referrals within the group, um, within departments, you know there's probably like 100 people at Allianz you can talk to and they talk to each other, but events and referrals Trick question, how many of those 100 people at Allianz have you spoken to so far?
2: 97 uh, I reckon that's about right So, uh, two more questions um, uh, quickly Do you think uh, that you'll always be digital lipstick on a legacy peak or are the aspirations to start being digital digital I mean to some extent you're not in charge of your own destiny there but presumably
6: this is a step on a journey where at some point you're going to go the whole hog no and um, so uh, of course we we believe that um, you know whatever end to end is but I think at that inflection point where you then go once you've kind of maximized scale underwriting profitability, which I think happens outside of the classical legacy core. Um, and we heard about data and IoT and, and, and all that. Um, and at that point, you'll then decide whether you actually, with well, your policy administration system might be really good at administering policy, but really bad at data, connectedness and workflow, and you can make that decision. But at that point, you can also pass into a greenfield carry you know system Um, but the nice thing is at that point you know exactly what that looks like so you build your target operating model based on operating in your target market rather than you know guessing um, without the use of the market and the rate of change in mind so we don't plan on going down, becoming full policy administration system like Guidewire, although we have some capabilities, but creating that connected layer where insurance underwriters, ideally, if we do our job well there, in five years time, that job will look much like that of a hedge fund manager who gets a lot of data, publishes products, disperses them to the different risk pools without really caring about how the plumbing works. So we are here to do the plumbing.
2: And then what next? Are you flush with money? Are you looking for more money? What's
6: what's the rest of the year look like for you? So I think there's, there's um, we have two key milestones. One is we need to well three continue the business, you know, grow, grow, uh, grow, 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 and and deliver. But um, two caveats to that. One is ex- especially growing our existing customers. So we showed that we're really good at landing but now we need to expand, and that just takes time. I cannot buy uh, an insurer's trust with five more salespeople going to the same account, so that creates, um, so we need some time, and the other one, we're publishing more and more self-service tools to open our platform for external developers, especially so that either the insurers, IT vendors, or IT consultants can um, program on our, on our platform. Um, yeah, so that's it. We've got time for a
2: couple of questions uh, for Nick uh, before we return to the bar.
3: Hi Nick. Um, So, this is probably part of your secret sauce, but uh, you claim that you launch a product in four
6: to six weeks. What does your tech stack look like? Are you able to share that? In in terms of kind of the the functionality across the value chain, or what do you mean by, by tech stack? Uh, just is it is it in the cloud? AWS, okay. Microsoft, okay. Um, both, um, and it's all um, it's all shared instance as well. Um, so we can leverage a lot of DevOps um, investment around that. And the other secret source is that you you basically what an insurer would call a front office application. Um, you move a lot of. Policy administration functionality in that front office application. So, you do the whole quote of a bind, renewals, cancellations, refunds, um, payments. You move that into the front office application. With that, you have a controlled environment. And you can then just build out the APIs and the customer journeys, all of which you control, and you just data dump back into the insurer. Uh, Nick, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, if you enjoyed that podcast and you have not come across some of our earlier episodes, you can find uh, all of those uh, for the last six months or so on the rest of our podcast episodes and also on the website. You can have a chance to see what we get up to with some of the photographs and write-ups from the event. If you're interested in learning more about what we're doing and want to know as the future events come up, then we suggest you subscribe to our newsletter, which you can get to on the website, at www.instec.london.